Welcome to Running Out of Space, a podcast about collectors, their collections, and how they make room for it all in their lives. My name is Adam Grabarnik, and I've been a collector since I was a child. It began with stickers, which led to comics, which led to toys, sneakers, posters, pins, wine, and on and on and on. Taking a wide-angle view of my obsession for ownership, I've come to see how my collections have become intertwined with my personality and sense of identity. Speaking with other collectors on the internet and in real life, I've come to see that I'm not alone. The Running Out of Space podcast is a celebration of the spirit that unites all collectors. Because it doesn't matter if you collect paintings, watches, stamps, cars, guitars, or Barbie dolls, there is a common component within the collector themselves that transcends the object collected. Though the trophies may be different, the hunters are more similar than they know. Today I'm talking guitars with musician and songwriter Stephen Gibb, who's played in some of the heaviest metal bands in the world like Black Label Society and Crowbar, and currently backs one of the greatest songwriters to ever exist, his dad Barry. He's also a dear friend, former roommate, sobriety advocate, and partially responsible for popularizing CrossFit in Miami. Welcome to the show, Stephen Gibb. What's up, dude? Where are we right this, now? Uh, is this, are you at home or is this your studio? What's going on here? This is the this is the dark lab. Uh, believe it or not, this is an extension off of my father's house. Uh -huh. um, that used to be uh, when I when I was a kid. It was uh, it was his studio, and then there was a little hangout room over here where we used to watch TV and stuff. I think I might have been in that room once or twice. I think you have, yeah. And so now, what used to be his studio is now here. I'll I'll give you the the tour. So there's there's some guitars. Nice. That's the that's the wall that my mother had. Uh, I don't know. She bought it. It's like an antique that. That's dope. She loves. And yeah. And then over here is the, so this is what used to be the old studio is now the live room. Wow. So there's drums. There's you, you track various, drums in there. You, wow. Yeah. That's and cool. a wall of combo amps and a couple four by twelves. And then that takes you back over here into and then you can go out into the backyard oh that's great that probably has a great vibe like yeah. if you're like recording you just walk outside for some fresh air or even if you're like writing or something that's cool well this is i mean this is bright for in here normally i call it the dark lab because it's very dark in here most uh -huh. of the time uh -huh. um so having you know the ability to kind of go outside whenever it, you know, or just even have the door open sometimes, you know, not always ideal. Dep it depends on the session, yeah. but it's a big help being able to just go outside, look at the sky, look at the water and clear your head. What's it's it like very necessary. right now? Is it super hot out right now? It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. No, I, I, I actually don't hate this time of year. Um, it's actually when we opened the, the gym was the first summer that like I really worked my ass off in, you know, a, in a warehouse with no AC in the middle of the summer. 
Right. And, you know, once we survived that, I was like, okay, well, I don't know that I'll ever complain again. Uh, but it's, it's pretty, pretty brutal. I've gotten older. As I've well, gotten still, older, you look, gotten into summer, you know? Yeah. Well, now you have kids, you know, like when you have kids, it's like, you know, that's the time you really get to hang out with them. It's true. Really. You that's know, true. if they, if they want to. I was thinking how- I was I was thinking of this topic that that we were going to um go on and on about today and the first yeah. thing I thought of was like what were the um stores like back in like the late 80s and 90s the guitar shops it was like what Ace Guitar right What down down here in South Florida Yeah and then there was Abe what? wasn't there like an there Abe a- and an there Ace was Ace <laughs> Ace Music Abe Music um uh Sim Music uh-huh. Sim, right. The old guy, the old guy up the road. Um, and then back then you had not just guitars down south. Uh-huh. Kind of like closer to that kind of like I guess it was Kendall or whatever back then. Um, and then you had uh uh MAE up in Broward. Uh-huh. And MAE like they were the only Jackson dealer back then. Like there were certain like you know, each store had its brands that it carried, so like M E M A E had like Mezaboogie and and uh, Jackson and you know things that you wouldn't find at Ace. Ace was a lot of Gibson's, Fenders, Ibanez kind of stuff, yeah. you know, for back then. Yeah, I mean the first time I remember the first time I saw a Steve Vai gem is when I worked in the warehouse at Ace Music, and they opened up the you know it was this lot this neon green you know and it was like what are we looking that at was over the handle, you know right? like. Yeah, I mean, you yeah, know, this yeah. this was this was uh, this was the highest technology available at the time. <laughs> but it had a killer tremolo. Like, I mean, they were, you know, it was a badass guitar. Yeah. Did does yeah. he still play Ibanez? Do you know? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I won't the, speak for him, but I mean, too, right? The one with like the two. Dude, he's next. he's got a guitar right now called the Hydra uh-huh. that has like five or six necks in different directions all doing different things you gotta go look that up it'll that's blow incredible. your mind that's incredible yeah it's wild yeah he's still he's still the king man what was the first really guitar is. that you remember like having was it one that was in your house or did you like see like kiss playing like did you see ace playing something and you're like i want that guitar like what was what was that i mean i was you know when i was a kid i was a kiss fan first and foremost but I was like, you know, we, like me and your brother, like we were big Gene fans right. at first. Like right. Gene was the dude for us. And then I kind of thought, oh, no, Ace is cool, too. Once I saw them live at the Sportatorium and I saw the, you know, the I saw the smoking guitar, with the, you know, the yeah. pickup. I was like, oh, man, that dude's the coolest. And then I became obsessed with the guitar, but I didn't pick up the guitar until I was 14. And it was because I was super into Van Halen at that point. And that was the iconic guy of that era. You know, I mean, yeah. Eddie, Randy Rose, obviously, but you know, Eddie was the dude, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and yeah, your question was the first, I mean, the first guitar I ever got, believe it or not, I was lucky enough. I was at, I went to a kiss show with my dad Yeah, and they used to kiss used to have a you know like probably they had a probably had a semi filled with Gibson Marauders uh-huh. that were you know very cheap guitar in the Gibson line with like a flying V headstock but more of a Les Paul body but with a weird pickup configuration and uh, they gave me one of those when I was a kid 
And I, I was too, I, yeah, Kiss at a Kiss concert gave me one and signed it. But it was like an, you know, it was like an ornament. I kept it in my room, like, yeah. oh, my Kiss guitar. Like, you know, I was just, it was like this testament wow. to Kiss. Yeah. Um, you know, I used to mess around with it when I was little and I had fun with it and stuff. But it turns out as I got older, I realized it really sounded like shit because it really wasn't meant to be played. Uh-huh. You know, it was really a guitar that was meant to be smashed at the end of a show. Uh-huh. Um, so um, I remember asking my dad for, you know, I was like, hey, can I borrow one of your guitars? And he's like, um, well, no, not really. <laughs> and, you know, and he was kind of like, you know, he's like, you know, why don't you save up and get, you know, get your own thing or whatever. And yeah. uh, and I worked that entire summer as a guitar tech on tour. Uh, with the Bee Gees, and uh, and I bought, uh, uh, whew, I bought a um, at the uh, I bought a 1972 Gibson Les Paul. It was sort of in pieces a little bit, like the body, the whole thing was intact. I just switched the pickups out because I was a guitar tech, kind of first. And you, like, I went, I started it. on piano. I started on piano. I kind of got into guitar teching because I needed a job because I dropped out of high school, basically. That's right. So. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, so anyway, as the story goes, I got that Les Paul, and uh, I actually got rid of high voltage guitar in L.A. Did you have to mail order, or were you in Los Angeles at the time? Was like no, I walked into the store with money in my pocket, and it was really the only thing I could afford with what I had saved up up to that point, and it had dog shit pickups in it. They were terrible, so I was just like, whatever. It's a good guitar. I could just tell that the wood was good and it was a good year uh for a les paul custom um and i played that i played that thing for a long time and recently got rid of it actually what made you get rid of it just you had it was just time for it to go i don't know man like i i kind of think like objects hold energy sometimes and like sometimes i feel that like like some of my guitars over the years i've been like you know i stopped playing it for one reason or another i don't need it you know like maybe i bought it because I wanted a certain tone or a certain vibe for something. And then I played it for a while and I went, eh, it's not really for me. Yeah. So I've gotten better at not sitting on as much gear as I used to, you know, it's like, it's, you know, guitars are meant to be played. You know, what might be shit to me might be some guy's perfect fucking dream. You know, I don't know. Right. You know, cause you know, you, you buy things along the way, you know, amps, pedals, whatever, and you use them and then you're like, ah, all right, well, you know, as much as I loved the Line 6 pod when it came out, and it still, you know, like, somehow holds its value occasionally. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I found one the other day, and I was like, uh, maybe I could let that go, you know? Are they not, do they not sell those anymore? Are those out of, like, are they out of production? Well, it's one of the original ones, you know, like the first uh-huh. Line 6 pod, that kidney bean. Yeah, it had a thing, but I but I lost the power cable, and I'm just I'm at a point in my life where it's like, am I really going to go chase the power cable, or right. am I really going to play? You know, it's like I've right. I'm blessed in that I have the tools for the job, and yeah, you know, like I'm actually like the most re- this last record that I just did. It was a really enjoyable process to kind of plug a lot of stuff in, uh-huh. like. You know, amps, combo amps, heads, you know, uh, for axe effects, you know, plugins, like just get, the, you know, split the signal and listen to everything. And then just by a process of elimination, just go, yeah, you know what? In order to do what 
I'm doing. I need like these three things and I don't need anything else. So you, you did know, go through the process of, of, um, of using like actual amps, like different types of amps and also stuff like, uh, like plugins and whatnot. Yeah. And sometimes we would blend them together. Sometimes there would just be different things for different types of parts and, yeah. you know, layers, uh-huh. but a lot of it ended up being, uh, combo amps and, uh, and a quad cortex is that and the like, accent is that kind of how it usually is for a lot of records like you, you would think that you know they use the biggest and brightest and most expensive but sometimes it's just like a combo amp with like a certain set setting i mean dude i think some of the best guitar tones i've ever heard are the most uh hard to believe when you when you actually hear like what they use like and, and i mean i'm not an expert nor do i have this on high authority but it's a pretty well-known fact, I think, that uh, even Warren Martini played like a Fender Champ with a fucking Boss Distortion pedal or a Tube Screamer for the solo for uh, Round and Round. So and, is that, and, and that's just like um, rudimentary gear, right? Like you're talking to somebody that doesn't really know this stuff, but it sounds like you're dude, talking like it's just like standard stuff. Like it's the same. It's the same amp, like you know, Dwayne Allman and Eric Clapton used on the Layla record. Uh-huh. It's just a little tiny little combo amp and they threw a fucking you know rat pedal or something in front of that and cranked it up and then you know double it buddy you know it's gonna sound killer you know it's like yeah you're right it does is round and round considered like i know it's a banger of a song and i love it but like is that solo considered like a benchmark i mean i would just say for me as a guitar player like you know i i became a teenager when MTV came out. Sure. So like for whatever that means now, who gives a shit? But the bottom line is, is that it would, it would have been like, like you turning 13 years old the day Instagram comes out. Right. You know what I mean? And and you're just like, what? There's all this shit, you know? And it was like, you know, because up to that point as, as fans, all I, you know, you, you saw the insides of the record sleeves. Occasionally you see a picture somewhere in a magazine or something of somebody. And you'd be like, that's what they look like. Like, Whoa. You know, like it would be kind of mind blowing because there was so much distance between you and uh, the artists. Right. You know, like talking about this with somebody else in a different episode that we did about how like MTV was like, I mean, it, it was our, our gen. I mean, you're a little bit older, but we're kind of the same generation. It was our source of like style. It was our source of like what's going on in different cities. It was our source of like, um, it shaped the culture, man. Culture. Completely. Yeah, there you go. Yes. It introduced, I mean, it, 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 it's what made hip hop mainstream. It's what yeah. made, you know, it's what made that a part of the culture, you yeah, know, like, sure. you know, it was like, I mean, at the time, you know, when it came out, it was like, you know, you would see like, you know, uh, the tubes, Huey Lewis in the news, yeah. lots of new wave stuff, like a flock of seagulls or human league. Yeah. Like, you know, really what would seem like very abstract, Gary Newman, you yeah. know, all those things, those influences get sort of filtered through you. And like the first time I saw somebody really play the guitar on MTV, I think it was Eddie, and there was like a weird video. I can't even, it was like maybe, so this is love or something. Uh-huh. But even before I saw Eddie Van Halen play the guitar in my face, I saw Warren D. Martini drop through the fucking ceiling. Great video. In that round and round video. That video great. And, and, and like, if you were a young kid who was like kind of thinking like, I like 
you know, I like heavy metal and I want to yes. play guitar. When you see that guy, you know, bust through the ceiling and start fucking shredding, yes. you're like, yeah, I'll have some of that. Let's go. Yeah, that, that sure. looks fun. You, you know, but what, what did he play? I remember like I I know the video vividly, like with, with the it's like a vixen crawling I, through like a, a webs and stuff and the, the band looking. Yeah. And Milton Burles in the out. video. It's a, it's a total Hollywood mess, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> but but it, but it was fun. You know, people were, it's an escape. That's what music's supposed to be. It's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be an escape for us from our fucking lives. Yeah, for sure. You know? And M MTV gave us a peek into like, oh, there's other stuff out there besides like, you know, the news that's on TV yes. or, you know, Donahue or whatever other crap. Like, cause there was such a lit, when you look back, what little information people had available yes. to them compared to now, it's like every little thing you got, you were like, yes. Right. Oh my God. You know, totally. speaking like, of, um, and I totally yeah. remember seeing all these, I remember seeing like vividly, like the tears for fear shout video, um, Billie yeah. Jean, a lot of twisted sister stuff, Duran yeah. Duran, like that yep. era, but also like Cindy Lauper. Um, yes, yeah, I remember that like version one MTV, and even like like the in between intros that they would do, like the imagery that they would, the, and the animation, like that was like that kind of like really got into my head too. Like I would sit for hours and watch MTV, and to bring it back yeah. to Kiss. Yes, what was it? Lick it up was the first time that we everybody saw them without makeup, and it was like a big deal. Uh, well, there was the unmasked album, which didn't really <laughs> hit the way they had hoped. And you kind of got like a taste of what they look like, for lack of a better term. Um, but there's some great songs on Unmasked. Don't, you know, don't knock it. It's sure. actually kind of a sleeping giant in the Kiss canon. Sure. But um, but I think it was, was it Lick It Up? I guess it would have been because then that yeah, was Vinnie Vincent was still in the band. <laughs> and I remember my brother freaking out over that. I remember every, I know, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah lick it up so good i mean it's so it's so great it, it's just but you know what nobody you know it was more innocent times man you know like Maybe. you could write a song called oh yeah, i mean no, hey no. look dude you know well you know back then it was lick it up now it's freaking wet ass pussy you know like totally. it, we just it, things just get they just get more extreme as we get older okay so you so you yeah. see the rap video you see the guitar and you're like, yeah, That's, it hit it like your family. Like it didn't hit then. It didn't hit with Kiss. It hits with Rat. Where you're like, I want to play guitar. Um, I mean, I I was always musical, you know, and I yeah. was always interested in music and you know, piano singing. I think for me, I didn't really want to be a singer in a family full of singers. Right. Like it just, I, I never felt that I would ever be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with any of that and it, it almost seemed so daunting like just the thought of it was just like why even try it's like if your dad's michael jordan you want to play basketball right <laughs> you know what i mean yeah hey kid, kid you ever tried tennis right. no, i mean I'm, I'm just but i'm just saying like you, you know like in my even in my mind like i had a i had a block about it somewhere you know yeah. it's just like i want to find my thing yeah. and um i knew it would be music musical you know like i never fully identified with playing the piano like like it was like my thing you know what i mean yeah and it was it was you know it was, it was the mtv stuff and it was like the early punk stuff 
you know, the minor threat stuff, the black flag stuff, the sex pistols, like all that really early, like when the, when the skateboard videos started coming out, like, uh, Pal Peralta skate videos like okay. I started getting exposed to punk rock in that world yeah. which kind of led to other roads that then eventually you know led to Metallica and Slayer you know what I mean sure. so there's like you know there was that fabric of kind of underground stuff going on while there was the MTV stuff that was kind of getting into my yes. DNA because Tears for Fears again like you mentioned earlier another huge influence and it's like um well I'm sorry what was your original question though I went on a tangent you saw the rap video and you're like, this is oh, Yeah. And so then I guess, you know, it was a long winded way of explaining that. Like I just started to realize I was really identifying with the guitar. Like it was yeah. just really, I, I, I just felt like I almost felt scared. Like if I grab one, then I really got to fucking do it. Yes. Cause you can't half-ass anything in this. If you're going right. to do something, you know, like that was in me already is like, if you're going to do it, you're going to fucking do it. Man. Yes. For you me, know, it's yeah. like I remember and, I was in junior and, high and and I was like, I I mean, I've loved music my whole life. And I remember in junior high being like, oh, do I want to play guitar? And I'm like, no, that seems really hard. Like, wow, that takes like a lot of time to learn. So I was like, no, I don't want to. I want to enjoy music in another way. I don't want to play guitar. No way. I diddled in trying to figure out how to play bass. But like I, I enjoy music as a audience member. And maybe yeah. an intellect, I don't know, whatever you want to say, but like I like playing it, like that was not my thing. Well, you, let me tell you something though, and that's interesting you say that because like back then, right, like you could almost be considered, and I, I can't say for sure, you would have you would have to tell me, but like music was very competitive, you know, in a different way back then. It was like the guitar Olympics where everybody was trying to be faster than everybody else, yes. which produced some really interesting music and that was also happening in you know jazz and fusion circles for longer but it was like you know that that was kind of taking things over and so it was intimidating yes. like at first you know being around guys that can play fast it's like it's like when you're the shrimpy kid and you show up to varsity football practice and everybody's fucking killing each other yes. and you're just like eh, i don't know about this you know like it could be a little terrifying because I, I i felt that i remember you know, walking into a music store and hearing uh, this guy play and, and just being like, whoa, 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 like there's people that can really do that, you know? Yes. Um, you know, I asked him to give me lessons, you know, I was like, please teach me. <laughs> and and you know what, man? It's like, I wish that more people, you know, or, or, or I wish more people just understood that like music is, is really just a language. Yeah. Like, like we turned it into so many different things. At the end of the day, it's it's a way of, us communicating yeah. our creativity. Also, in a there's way like that you, the, you know, as you know, like they're also like in South Florida during like the late eighties and early nineties, even through the nineties, like punk and hardcore wasn't really around. Like there wasn't really a punk and hardcore scene, maybe in Broward somewhere. There was a more like a metal influence from like Tampa and stuff. Yeah. But there really wasn't like that scene of kids that were like, no, fuck it. I can't play, but I'm going to express myself through these instruments. If I had discovered that earlier, that might have changed things for me because of how kind of, and I, I, I'm i not saying this in a disparaging way, how simplistic some of the riffs are in punk and hardcore. I mean, they're so effective. Yeah. But you have people yeah. that aren't like, you know, Steve Vai or Yngwie Malmsteen that are like, they, they don't rip like that, but they rip in another way. That would probably have yeah. been, that would probably have um, been more of an entryway for how I see 
um, myself being able to play. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Well, you know, you know, what's interesting, man, is that like, you know, like I was telling you earlier, I started out playing piano. Now I don't currently really play piano outside of the need for, you know, some synth lines here or there. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not really going to, I'm not going to sit down and wow you with my Elton John repertoire, right. but you know, I really enjoy playing now because I don't have, uh, I don't have all these rules in my mind anymore for, you know, what I should be doing when I'm on an instrument. It's just right. like, dude, just, just lose yourself. It doesn't matter. It's supposed right. to just be a place where you can go and almost meditate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I could play for hours and nothing really interesting happens. And then for like a few minutes, there's something that I've never heard before. And, it came, and that, that came out of me. It's and like then I've got to go right? back and, yeah, I just got to, I got to go back and find a way to, you know, mine that, you know, and, and then some days I'll go in there and jam with, with my buds and it's like, we'll just, you know, we'll just let Pro Tools run for however long we're in there. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, there's like 12 new song ideas there. That's great. You know, that's but it's not like you're thing. sitting. Go ahead. No, I was just saying, it's just that, I mean, that's a luxury of, of the modern technology that we have and the ability to have a pretty compact studio where you can at least, you know, get your ideas down and, and, and you know, effectively make records just yeah. vibing in a room, yeah. you know, and, but we all still had to do it. At least, you know, the guys that I, you know, know that are my age, like, you know, we all still had to do it when the equipment was heavier and, and yes. it, you know, didn't work as well and it didn't work as quickly. And you know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, also fun like ride another to be thing on. Another thing that I found, like, as I've gotten older and kind of thought about it more and had a better perspective on things, it's like, it's so important to also, like, yes, you kind of have to to drive your own destiny when it comes to music in certain ways. But also, like, all my favorite bands are all filled with dudes or women that met in, like, high school or they knew each other from elementary school and they had each other to kind yeah. of grow together and form as a, uh, as a unit. And, it, you know, it takes time to build a sound but they've been doing it together that long and they form this kind of camaraderie i never really had that like i didn't have homies that like uh, that played music so like if it, if i if i was gonna be the person that explored that facet of my personality i didn't have other people around me also doing that to kind of inspire me and to push yeah. me along you know so like it's like it's there's so many factors that involve like into even you know but my artistic journey went in another the, way and that's exactly go ahead right but like with music specifically like it's there's so many things like i really like i really noticed that a lot of bands it's like they start when they, they meet when they're in school or something and, and it you know it carries them through if yeah hopefully i mean look having a band is the ultimate example of a dysfunctional relationship you know right. it's like even on the best of days, like, sure, you guys, you know, you can have a group of dudes that get along amazing. But if you put the same group of people together for months at a time, you know, six, seven weeks away from home, you know, like not everybody weathers the same conditions in the same way at all times. And, you know, people have their quirks and some people's quirks are fucking weird. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. Yeah, I know some of mine have been for sure, you know, uh, throughout my life. And it's like, you know, you know, you start to realize there's a lot more to this than just being creative, just, uh, you know, just going out there and proving it. Like, you know, there's, there's a lot of 
personality factors that are, are really important. And, you know, like finding a scene when you're young of people that are like-minded, supportive and encouraging, you know, is, is it's critical, man. Yes. You know, it's like, that's one of the things we've lost in the modern age a little bit is sort of that um, mentor mentee kind of, you know, apprenticeship, but not even like a, you know, official apprenticeship, but even just, you know, the guy down the street that knew five more chords than I did showing me what he knew, mm -hmm. you know, and then him taking me to his buddy's house. And that guy was a really good drummer. And he, mm -hmm. you know, I, I could see somebody play the drums pretty good and start to realize what that was. Cause I didn't right. even, right. you know, like I was lucky in that I was surrounded by music growing up, but even when you're surrounded by some of the best music that's ever existed, when you're a kid, you still, it's in the nature of you to still find your own. Yeah. Like, right. yes, that's a part of me, but I have to find my way Yeah. in this. You know what I mean? It's yes. like, you know, me and my dad share a love for a lot of the same kinds of music. And then there are some things I like and he goes, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and, and that's fine. That's the way it's supposed to be is what I'm saying. So you have the so. 72 Gibson. It was a Gibson. It well, yes, it was. It was a Gibson Les Paul. Where Custom. do you go? You learn a few chords, and then what? Like, do you do you have friends? I remember you had you had like yeah. a high school band, didn't you? Yeah, well, I I had a um, I met through a uh, a friend, um, uh, a guy named Scott Shapiro, and he started teaching me, and and you know, I took a couple of lessons from uh, uh, another friend, Jimmy. And, you know, at the, at, when, I, when I was just starting out, I, you know, if I'm honest, you know, I didn't practice as much as maybe I could have, uh -huh. you know, um, but I picked up specifically from Scott some pretty important things that I think kind of sent me on my own journey of really just kind of like, you know, what, once he kind of showed me like some basic fundamental stuff, I just started listening to records and just learning everything I could off of every record that I could find. You know, I was addicted to going to the record store and buying either, you know, vinyl or cassettes and, you know, trying to slow them down or right. just listen to stuff repetitively like a maniac. Yeah. You know, it was crazy. I mean, I used to record my own stereo so that I could slow it down. Like, you know, like uh -huh. I, I was trying to figure out all these ways to learn stuff. And, you know, sometimes I gave up and, but more often than not, you know, like when I came home from school, you know, especially in, in uh, you know, I think it was like, I guess it was like ninth grade. I would come home and uh, I would just practice. It just, that was it. I just, just had a, and it wasn't even like, sure, there was aspects of it that were regimented. There's things I wanted to learn. Like I had like points that I was trying to hit. But at the end of the day, I figured if I spent the rest of the day holding the guitar, playing it while I'm watching TV, you know, working on scales, turning on the metronome, doing whatever, you know, what's this chord? What's that? You know, what's he playing there? You know, I, you know, I think if you just you absorb enough and, and it comes back out, however, it's supposed to come back out. Were it, you also you know? like. Um, checking like what other guys were playing, like, were you buying like hit parader or like rip or like whatever it was like and checking out what gear other the guitar players were using well i mean 
I, you know, Guitar Player Magazine, Guitar for the Practicing Musician, like those were big mags yeah. uh, at the time. And it, there wasn't a lot of gear, but, you know, yeah, sure, you looked at stuff and you dreamed about it. But, like, all I ever wanted was a JCM 800. What's that? You know, it's just, uh, it says it's like a Marshall, you know, I, I, I wanted a Marshall full stack, JCM 800. That's the that's the amp? That's the, the big amp? This big well, it, it, amp. it was, and, it's, and it's, it's the amp that's been on, you know, many, many, many hard rock and rock, you know, old you know it's just it's, it's just such a bulletproof for that for that thing you know and this yeah. is the late 80s early 90s right um you know i had i had one of those for a few years i had a, a dual rectifier when it came out a mezzo boogie and i love that amp um you know for a long time i was like you know always on that quest for that one amp and you know yeah. two years ago i just realized there isn't one you know there just isn't and that's fine you know it's there's you know, there's one like, you know, it's like for years, I just played the JCM 800. Then I played the dual rectifier. Then I played Randall's when I was in Crowbar, uh-huh. you know, and then, uh, you know, then I started kind of getting obsessed with combo amps, you know, and just kind of like checking out, you know, different ways to be heavy without having a full stack, you know, and then it was like, or even a half stack for that matter. Um, but, uh, you know, I, 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 when I started playing with my dad, I guess we're going back like eight years now or almost 10 years. Um, when, you know, it, it was suggested that I go direct because everybody would be on in-ear monitors. It's a pretty quiet stage. His voice really needs as, as little as possible bleeding into it so that the show is, you know, delivered in a, in a crispy and delicious fashion. And uh, Can you tell me what that means. So I, does that just mean directly into the amp, and then a microphone is in that front means of the that means that the guitar goes into a direct uh, either amp simulator or multi effects type of okay. scenario, like a rack unit or, or pedals. There's things like the Axe Effects, the Kemper, uh, Quad Cortex. These are sort of modern uh, versions of this. But I I started with an Axe Effects, and um, you know, much to my surprise, it sounded really great. Yeah. Like. You know, you have the same guitar tone every night, no matter what room you're in, right. no matter who, what's going on, your little world is protected. Okay. It's like, okay, well, it's going to sound that like, as long as you hand me two working XLR cables, I will deliver you my guitar tone. Because and it's already you all don't preset have, and stuff, right? It's all preset Dialing. in there. There's, yeah, there's, you know, IR cabinet simulation and all kinds wow. of stuff. And it's an incredible time to be a guitar player because most of the stuff, it's about 98% there. Like, yeah, you know, there's, there's always going to be a tactile noticeable difference between playing the guitar through one of these things and playing through an amplifier. That's like, there's, there's an immediacy and a dynamic sort of interaction and, and sort of feel to an amp, to a real amplifier on stage. However, um, when you're part of an ensemble, some of those feel things, you might have to sacrifice those for the whole. So that sure. the whole show sounds great. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, I wasn't really open to the idea, but I got used to it. And and now I've gotten to the point where it's like, well, with the technology that I have available to me right now, thank God, between my laptop and my little, you know, my little extra bag and my guitar case, like I can go anywhere in the world. I can record, I can play a show, I can do anything. And this is all it took. Yeah. You know, I drove, I drove a fucking 
pickup truck for most of my life because right. most of my life I was hauling around Ampeg and Marshall cabinets and drum <laughs> kits and you know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, you saying I don't have to do that anymore. Right. I mean, that's some people's that's identity. Great. I'm sure people had like a crisis. I'm sure musicians like certain like, you know, gearheads had a bit of a, bit of a crisis around this time when the, the transition took place. I'm not going to lie. I'm still going through it. There's yeah. some days that I'm like, no, man, I just want to fucking plug into a loud amp and get hit in the face and feel it. Like right. that's part of why I started playing guitar in the first place. Right. The first time I actually heard somebody play loud right in front of me that could fucking play. Yeah. I was like, I'm doing that. Yes. And whatever guitars, the fuck that guy's, you know, like yeah. it was powerful. And guitars are so like stylish. Like just to get back into the focus of like the items and stuff, like Eddie yes. okay. guitar. So, no, no, no. It's totally cool. Like this is what it's all about. But yeah. like seeing Eddie Van Halen's guitar, but just seeing like any lead guitar player's guitar, like so much style, like so cool. And to see that, I mean, I don't think, I think that, that it's like, as a result of like the, um, you know, the guitar kind of taking the back seat in modern music and not being like in the front, you know, rightfully so, like, yeah. or whatever you want to say. I, I personally still like guitar music, but it's not like at the forefront of like the music culture anymore. Like, it's not like the like, like the guitar god like is not revered that much anymore. Especially, especially in the U.S. Yeah, like there's it's it still leans, you know, it still has some some good energy in Europe and Japan and you know. Uh, you know, like America is a different music kind of climate, in my opinion, and everything than the rest of the world culturally as well. Like even like in cinema and literature and everything for sure. Yeah, but like the guitar player, like seeing a, like being a kid and watching like Eddie Van Halen on on a music video or any of the guys like like even like Slash with his guitar, like what they would do with the guitars, so much cool style. But I agree. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it was so eye-catching to so yes. many of us that made us want to emulate that. But it's like, remember, I don't know if you remember this, but there used to be a Tina Turner song. You know, it was like, We Don't Need Another Hero or whatever. I love that song. Okay. Okay, so still a great song, of course. It's a, one of the best, and God rest her soul. But I think there was a saxophone solo in that song. Yes, there is. And this was in the 80s, right? And so, you know, for me as a kid who was into guitar players, right? Yes. And I see, you know, we don't need a night. And then breaks into the sax solo. And the guy's, you know, at least cool looking, Jack dude, whatever. But I remember thinking to myself, saxophone, just not that cool. <laughs> you know, like as a kid, like that was sure. my, my thought. Now, as an adult, now I listen to sax players all the time and my, my mind is blown and yeah. it's an incredible instrument, yeah. but it's not a part of the culture. Anymore. Right. That's right. And so now to kids that are like my son's age, he's about 17, you know, he's like, yeah, man, I guess cool guitar player or whatever, but it's like they don't it doesn't hit them the same right. because they've been hearing their dads and they're you know, they've been hearing the yeah. guitar just as a part of everything. Yes. Yes. You know, it's a iconic cultural American thing. Yes. Uh, you know, for the last, you know, whatever, forty years. But you know, the the emergence of other, you know, other styles of music and other trends has made the guitar less in vogue, although I don't think I don't think guitar and guitar music is something that's ever going to go away. It's like oh. it's kind of like, um, you know, someday, you know, AI might freaking make everything. But there's always going to be a market for bespoke people that love working with film, love working with analog tape, love still creating music. There might not be the same audience, mm -hmm. but 
yeah. there'll always be an industry, even if it's kind of tight, you know, yeah. it's like just as long as those things will go on, but it's just, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's interesting in the, you know, in the journey of things, you know, it's like, like I've been carrying around some of my instruments everywhere I go for right. like 25 years. Some of them, you know, I've just collected stuff along the way right. and I'm like, what is, what am I doing with all this stuff? You know, I got to get rid of stuff. Right. And it doesn't matter what I get rid of. Something else finds its way in here. Right. You know, and there's an, I think there's an energy to music. It's like, you know, you, you have to make, you have to get rid of things in order to make room for other things, but mm-hmm. all of these things fade. Yeah. I have a hard time getting rid of, I have a lot of stuff. I, not obviously not music, but like I have a lot of stuff and I have a hard time letting go of it. Um, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm I, I can totally understand what you're saying about that. How deep therapeutically do you want to go on this subject, Adam? Let's do it. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, uh, you know what I, what I have found is that, you know, for me, how I do the small things is how I do the big things is how I do things. You know, I don't like letting go of stuff. So like years ago when I decided I was going to, uh, you know, clean up my life and quit using drugs and alcohol, I, I, I realized there were things I could no longer do. There were, there were things, behaviors, people, mm-hmm. places, and there were things, there were actual things that I owned objects. that I had to get rid of. Yeah. There were objects and they had power. You know, just like just like a relationship with a person that maybe I shouldn't be hanging out with that has power on some level, whatever I give to it, it's it's coming at me. You know what I mean? And and what what I found is, is that. um, I'm consistently always trying to let stuff go. It's not always my stuff because I've gotten to a point now where I kind of know what the tools are that I need to do whatever I do. Uh, at this stage of my life, you know, but it's like, I was talking to my wife the other day. It's like, Hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with holding on to three or four guitars. And then just kind of being the old guy that likes to play guitar occasionally. And, you know, it's like, you know, just cause I had a dream when I was 16 years old that I wanted to be in a rock band and I wanted to be a guitar player. It's like, you know, that doesn't have to be everything you are, Steve. You don't have to give all of your money and all your time and all of your energy to this. Like, like if like I could sell, you know, that's a big revelation to have. That's huge. That's like, that'll stop you in your tracks. Well, but you know, when it started, it started with kind of with, um, once I started playing through the, the axe effects, because Uh I started coming back like, Oh, I was on tour for two months. I didn't need any of this shit. All I had were I had two guitars and an acoustic and an axe effects. Right. And strings. Incredible. You know what I mean? And it was like, you know, it was great because I didn't spend a lot of money, you know, moving stuff around. But, you know, you start to realize I don't need that anymore. You know, like, you know, these are guitars that I played when I was in Black Label Society. I, I don't, you know, or I was in Crowbar. I don't play them anymore. Like, they're, I don't, I don't think there's a, you know, I don't. I don't think anybody has a metal museum where they want to put all this stuff. You know, it's what like were those just to, to get into to, to kind of just little little well, the, avenue to, to gear. Some... What were those? What were you playing for the heavy metal stuff? And what was that stuff? Um, well, I played ESP 
uh, when I was in Black Label Society, uh, I played their basses, and they were super, super kind to me. And uh, and then I that relationship continued when I went to go play guitar for Crowbar, and um, and you know all those all those ESP guitars, man, went around the world a few times. Yeah, and I have to say, through conditions, many guitars might not have survived, and I didn't have almost. I never, I almost never had an issue with those guitars. Yeah, you know. ESP was, are some really cool looking guitars too. Like Metallica plays ESP, right? Yep. And they do yep, all the ones sure that do. have like graphics on them. They do all the monster ones, right? Yeah, I mean they'll do they'll do just about anything you can think of. Yeah. Um, you know, but it it's like but those were the perfect tools for the job at yeah. the time. Like yeah. that is what was needed. That right. that's what got the job done. Now they sit in cases. Occasionally, I'll pull one of them out and play them, and I yeah. it's still fun, but it's like the energy of that period of my life is in there. Right. Like, you know, like that, like this guitar right here, I'll bring it over here. Uh-huh. I mean, this, this guitar may not look like much, but it's, and it's clean ish right now, uh-huh. but like it's done hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of hours of sweat and gross, just yes. nasty shit. Yes. And great shows great times and you know it's like one part of my personality you know one part part of my my heart is like oh that was then you gotta let it go you know you know it's my memories are my memories whether i own that guitar still or not you know what i mean and then there's the other part of me that's like yeah but there were so many good times and so much good stuff you know and sentimentality you know it's it's, uh, you know, and, and as we get older, you know, we get more sentimental. We get more uh, nostalgic for things. Sure. Um, I, I think that's just a basic part of, you know, how humans operate. But I, I begin, I'm beginning to see it as more of a weakness. Yeah. You know, it's like. Like it's holding you back? Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, how much stuff are you going to carry on your back for the rest of your life, Steve? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because sometimes you're like, oh, I'd love to just drop everything and you know just go live in costa rica for six months or you know a year what you know i mean whatever you know you like you get these whims you know like hey i could you know if i did this and i did that then i i could probably just live in a van and be happy you know like it doesn't take much when i really look at what makes me happy yeah it's my wife it's my kids it's my dog and like if i have a guitar that'd be great yeah. You know, if I have a little box to plug it into that makes it sound cool, bonus. Right. Right. You know what I mean? But like, I'm kind of, you know, as much as I love my stuff, it's like you get to a point where you're like, at least in, in my life, it's like, okay, well, you know, you've done well, you know, be, sure. be happy for the things you've got. But, you know, little by little, I, you know, like I'm sometimes I just give stuff away. It's like, hey, you know, you want that? You need that? I don't need it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it did it's it's it served me well. You go ahead, you take it. When did you start like so you, so like from the Gibson from there were you like oh like I need I need so I need as many guitars as I can find so I'm gonna go and find this one for this tone and that one for that tone like when did it start where it's like oh I need more than one I need a quiver of all of these guitars and from there like I can imagine it it becoming something where it becomes an aesthetic where you're like, Oh no, I, I want that a, a bit creeps in where it's like, no, I want that one for that body shape. Cause that's a cool body shape. Like did that ever come into play? 
No. What I looked at was like, who are the guys I really dug, like really, really was sort of obsessed with, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so with Eddie, you had, for me, you know, it's the iconic, it's the black and white strap. That's the first thing I ever saw of Eddie. So it was just like, that's that. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, but then it was like, everybody was trying to be like Eddie. And like, I was also like, I grew up, you know, listening to um, Led Zeppelin, obviously. I was a big Jimmy Page guy. I was a big Allman Brothers fan. And I loved both Dickie Betts and Dwayne Allman and, and Warren Haynes. Everybody that's ever been in that band, Dan Toller, all of them, great players, all played Les Pauls. Um, you know, Randy Rhodes, Zach Wilde. Like, you know, but like, I just started looking around. I was like, man, that Les Paul sure does get a lot of, you know, sure does make a lot of records sound good. Like a lot of the guitar tones I like, dudes, I, I thought we're playing Les Pauls. So I, I gravitated early to Les Pauls. Yeah. Um, and I, be, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I became buddies with Zach Wilde at an early age. And, you know, he's one of the all time greats and, you know, one of all time, you know, uh, kind of guys that's going to be associated with that body shape to a degree. But, um, I don't know. It just seemed like a fucking classy choice, you know, Les Paul, you know, fucking grown man's guitar. When did you you get that? And what, how old were you when you, when you picked up your first Les Paul, when you bought your Uh, own? I think the the first one I bought my own, I was 16. Right. Um, Where'd you uh, get it? That was the one I got in, that was the one I got in, in LA at, at okay. high voltage. And then, Oh, that was, the, oh, oh, the Gibson Les Paul. Yes. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, so that was the yeah, first okay. one. What about after that? From there? You know, I wasn't, I, I wasn't, I, I kind of like wanted a second Les Paul. Uh-huh. You're like, I kind of wanted a backup. That was my next thing. Yeah. Um, and that took me a little bit, a little bit of time. I think I found a cheaper kind of deluxe, from the eighties. And then I think I put EMG pickups in it or something and bastardized uh-huh. that thing. Uh-huh. Um, is that and the neck broke on that years ago. Is that uh, those types of pickups? To some people, to some people at that time, it wasn't really, yeah. um, but, uh, but now, you know, it's definitely frowned upon, but um, I don't know, man, I don't, I don't care the way I look at it. Everything's a tool, you know? Right. But, but I think for me, it was just like, I wanted to find my own sound. It wasn't like, I was more obsessed with finding my own sound than finding my own shape. Yep. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I was like, okay, what's going to do that? And probably the best tone I ever had that I still don't even have a recording of. But in my mind, the greatest guitar tone I ever had was a, a Fender uh, 70. I think it was a 74 Telecaster that I bought in the 80s. No, no, sorry, early 90s. And it had the, the two big full range humbuckers in it, uh-huh. the Fender full range humbuckers. Those are pickups. And right? their pickups are big, yeah. you know, big chrome looking things. And that into a rat pedal into a Fender Bassman pretty much cranked. And that still to this day sounds better than most of the shit I've ever heard. Yeah. To my ears. I'm just like, well, I can't, you know, I look back and it's like, but I think sometimes we have a sense memory of things. It's like, you know, that time you smelt something cooking and you thought it was the best thing ever. And then right. 20 years later, you smell it and you're like, what the hell is that? Right. You know, yeah. we change. So who knows? You know, but um, I think the thing I was always sort of hunting, like what, what I started to realize with me is that I had a lot of, a lot of interests in a lot of different kinds of music. 
even when it wasn't cool to like a lot of different kinds of music, I did. Right. Um, at least, you know, around here. And, um, and I started realizing what different guitars did, you know, like the, you know, the Mark Knopflers of the world, you know, and the Strat players. And, you know, there were certain guys that were like, they were the Strat guys, you know, Eddie and a lot of the eighties guys were doing the super Strat thing, which then turned into the Ibanez thing. Okay. Um, and the shred thing. And then there was kind of, um, uh, you know, there's the, the Telecaster guys and there's the 335 people. I mean, when you, you know, in my opinion, the hollow body ES335 design might still be the best example of a guitar on the planet in a lot of ways, because you think about it, everybody played them, you know, from Chuck Berry up to Dave Grohl, BB King, you know, like so many people are ad- clapped in, in the early days. A lot of people play that, that model that, Right. People don't even think about it anymore. Right. Um, Tom DeLong from Blink-182. Like, there's there's a massive list of hollow body freaks, you know, and that kind of comes from that early rockabilly thing, the, yes. you know, the jazz guys, the early blues guys. But, you know, the thing with a, with one of those guitars, which I'm a huge fan of for, for a lot of reasons, um, you know, it's not acoustic enough so that you're playing acoustic guitar in a room and people are like, Jesus, that guy's got to play acoustic in the, in the, you know what I mean? Like, like really dude, you know, but it's, but it, but it's, it's loud enough that it's actually pleasurable to play uh-huh. just sitting there unplugged. You know what oh, I mean? Cool. And then when you, you know, when you plug in, it has this big kind of, you know, throaty sound to it that just really, I don't know. It, you it can do anything that guitar can you can play anything on that guitar if you know if you know how to play anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's so interesting guitars are so interesting to me because it's like yeah yes they look cool but like the stuff you're talking about it's the functionality that's tied to it as well so it's like you marry sound with an aesthetic in such a unique powerful way it's so they're so cool well dude i mean are you familiar with strandberg guitars no okay uh, hold on. Don't go anywhere. So these are incredible to me. Okay. This is what uh, it's a headless guitar. Cool. Right? Yeah. Okay. And if you look at the frets, they're very squiggly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You see this? Oh, no. Sorry. I got the wrong one. This is the titanium one. So this okay. does this has the fan frets. Okay. I thought I grabbed the the that one's the super cool though. Oh no, it's it's an amazing amazing instrument. Hold on, I got to show you this though. The so same body shape, right? Killer. But look at the frets. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so now it's not in tune right now, but that's supposed to make it what I, what they call a sweetened temperament, true temperament tuning. Uh-huh. So everything's in tune everywhere on the neck. It's just. Okay. A genius came up with it, and this guy Ola Strandberg in um, in Sweden designed. You know, this is like an ergom- ergonomic masterpiece. Gorgeous. You know, it has a tra- trapezoid shaped neck, uh-huh. which you might be able to see. Kind of, yeah. Like a weird, oh yeah, I see. Triangle, yes, yes, yeah. And no matter where you are on the neck, you're always in the right position. Like you can, you can play it. On this knee, like this. Yes. You can play it like that. You can yes. play whatever. It it completely conforms to your body. And I've had a lot of pain in my life from sitting down and playing guitar 
right. a lot. And these guitars, you can play for hours. There's no fatigue. My hands never get tired. My technique improves. Wow. Like when I pick up other regular guitars, I'm like, wow, I'm really, you know, really feeling good. Yeah. It's, uh, is so, that a, I mean, that's a cool. Is that a, um, that? Like a is that like a um, modern, like, uh, is that a contemporary company? Like when did that company start? Like when was that established, those guitars? I don't know exactly when they started, but I've become aware of them in the last five years. Wow. Those are really cool. It's like, uh, it's sort of the Tesla of guitars in that it sort of has everything you need. It doesn't really have anything that you don't. Yes. And like, you know, the devil's in the details. It's like the things, the details that they've chosen to focus on that make playing the guitar more enjoyable. Like, uh -huh. forget what it looks like. At first I was like, oh, I don't like the way they look. Right. Because I'm such an old school guitar player stock, with right? the headstock and all this. But like, yeah. you know, the reality is, is I don't spend as much time on stage as I do in the studio. Yeah, I spend more time in the studio currently. Uh, that could change. But when you're sitting for long periods of time and you're trying to keep your workflow moving yeah. and, you know, you know, the headstocks bump into stuff, you know, like it's just it's comfortable. It's easy to put down. It's easy to mm -hmm. they stay in tune mm -hmm. incredibly. And so it's an interesting, you know, again, another great tool. But, you know, as technology improves, the quality of materials and construction things get better and better and people are able to do it in a way that like you need less you just yeah. you know less is more you don't need sure. a lot of stuff it's great to have some of it because some things do have their own character you know like certain guitars have their own personality at least to me like and you pick it when i pick up when i pick up my sg I'm going to play a certain way. It just, it brings a certain yes. aspect of my musicality out of me. Yes. I'm, I will lean certain ways without thinking about it because I'm playing that guitar, you know, and then I can put that down and pick up a, you know, a Stratocaster and just be like, okay, now does I'm going to go over here. Does that like, What's um, that? does that kind of, you, you're touching on something interesting about how a certain instrument can, bring out a certain aspect of your personality now did you ever get to where you're like i'm an i'm an sg person only like that's who i am i'm not this other type of person like that does that ha does that have a factor in it at all like um the guitar that you thought that you were only does uh like kind of born to play sort of thing i mean i'll say this a lot of guys i grew up admiring and and most of what i think you would classify as the modern masters of the guitar kind of all they all sort of did play one guitar yes you know stevie yes. ray vaughn played one fucking guitar like very sure. stylish guitars okay. by the way super cool well, looking. but i mean occasionally he would play other strat style, style guitars but yeah. if he was playing the guitar most likely he would be playing a strat 99 percent of the time uh -huh. same for eddie same for Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Page, 95% of the time is going to play either a Les Paul or his double neck. Yeah. Maybe a Dan Electro or something. But uh -huh. pretty much, except for early days. Early days, he was just a Telecaster player. You know, Jeff Beck was, you know, Jeff Beck was a Les Paul guy for a very long time and yeah. didn't deviate. And then 
had a brief and you know kind of on and off thing with the telecaster and then he found the strat and he was like that's my voice ingvay's a strat player you, you know like that's it if it ain't broke don't break it kind of yeah. thing like but when you're that when you're those guys definitely don't break it you know like <laughs> you got it you know yeah. what i mean like don't yeah. mess with that why would you it's like I get it. If I was Ingbe, I wouldn't plug. I wouldn't do anything but plug in a JCM fucking eight hundreds and crank them up and yeah. fucking play a strat on blast because that's what you do. That's that's who he is. You know. When, when did um, you start? When did you shift? Like when did you expand your kind of um, your discipline beyond Gibson? When did that start? I mean, it was kind of. I, I had a little bit of a kind of a a thing for telecasters in the nineties here and there. I was, I was pretty intrigued with, with some country pickers like Albert Lee and Steve Morse and guys like that back in the day. Um, and it, you know, I, I kind of had an on again, off again relationship with telecasters. Um, and I, and I still do, but, uh, I think what happened for me is, you know, I always kind of let the music, like the music's the biggest ego. It's like, it's like, okay, well, when I was in that band, the Underbellies, well, Telecaster made sense in that band. That, that's, that was the tool needed for the job. That ESP was the tool for Crowbar. Um, you know, by the time, uh, you know, I was in Saigon Kick, I was back to the Les Pauls. And then uh, what I think kind of made me grow up in a lot of ways was when I had the good fortune of playing with my pops. Uh, -huh. uh, because, uh, the Bee Gees is not guitar centric music, really, you know, it's, it's, uh, a lot of it's, you know, relatively orchestrated, minimalist, you know, uh, simple, beautiful, sophisticated type of music, you know, and, 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 uh, it's challenging to learn how to kind of weave yourself into that. And, you know, cause, cause being in bands and playing rock, and and metal and stuff and punk rock and shit. It's like, you know, it is the guitar's job to step out into the forefront at times and really assert itself, you yeah. know, and be heard. Right. And when you're playing pop music and the voice is the king, like you, nobody steps on the voice, man. This, we're all here to support that. You know that that's where you you know you get to earn your big boy stripes because you have to learn how to not play and you have to learn how to really just be there as a supportive loving force of like let me just get get this here okay yeah that's okay i don't know it's nobody's you know the thing is it's like you know people are never offended at the notes you don't play right you know so it's you know what i mean so it's like if you if you have a question just don't ask just <laughs> only, you know only play the notes you know are there and you'll be fine and what were you um, playing? What we what guitar was were you playing on those tours and in those sessions? Uh, there was some Telecasters, and then there was Les Pauls. Uh, kind of came back again, and um, and I was playing uh, Maiton, sort of semi hollow Telecaster style. Maiton's an Australian guitar, uh, which are excellent instruments, actually, really, really good guitars. As a matter of fact, Josh Homme, I think, had a uh, signature model with them for a number of years. Cool. So they're, uh, yeah, pretty good. That new record's fucking <laughs> unbelievable, man. Holy shit. <laughs> Jesus, dude. 
I'm still trying to pick my ass up off the floor, man. Yeah. Kicked my there's ass. Lot, there's a lot of, I mean, just like, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how those guys do it, but it's wonderful. They not, they you just do it. You just do it like you got nothing to fucking lose. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. Super, super badass motherfuckers, though. I can, I can tell you that. I remember when um, you lived, you, you briefly lived with us. We lived together. We played rated R all the time. We did, yeah. And it was so weird because we were like totally ripping on that record. And then I started hanging out with Brendan McNichol, uh-huh. who was in the band at that time. Oh, cool. And yeah, and it, yeah, that turned into a long and, and beautiful friendship. But, that was the record. I mean, that really was the feel-good hit of that summer. Though. Oh yeah, they Still weren't wrong. Day. They, oh yeah, they weren't sure. wrong. It was, it was a we had a blast. That record and that Phantomus record was played yep. pretty often. Um, yeah, man, those are good times, man. Hey, you know, like, honestly, like when you live. <laughs> but honestly, like I think about myself, like when it comes to me going out of you know out and going to see live music. I love hip hop. I love electronic music, but a lot of that stuff I prefer to listen to in my car because when I go see it live, yeah. it's a little underwhelming to me. The stuff that I gravitate towards and some of the best shows that I have seen is guitar driven music or like pop music where there's a band there. Like that's the stuff that, you know. And there's a show, there's entertainment yeah, being added. Sure. You for know, sure. you're getting added value. It's but, like, but also like you, you have to be there to experience like going to see Sun O. Like you can't just listen to that and like I mean you can listen to it in the car and it rips, but like to go see them live, it's like, whoa, I'm having like an, an experience right now. You know, like, and it's a guitar yeah. doing that. You know, well that's and that's where I you know I, I get back to that whole music as a language thing. It's like you know I think that uh, music has always performed a kind of uh organic function of pulling everyone you know because we're all connected you know these gatherings you know it's energy and human beings need to gather okay they need energy they need to retreat they need to gather they need to retreat music is a celebration it's supposed to be fun you know doesn't mean it can't force you to have an emotional experience or visceral experience or, or whatever it is, but it is, you know, we are, it's, I believe it's a spiritual thing that humans have a need to connect through that language because, because, you know, I know from experience playing shows in different countries, being a, a fan in the, in the, you know, in the crowd in other countries, like it doesn't matter when there's a band on stage and somebody is testifying about whatever it is in their music, humans want that. That's why humans go to church. It's why humans go, you know, like everybody's like, Oh, well, you know, you don't go to church. It's like, yeah, I do. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) I go to church. It's just not your church, but it's funny. I've said, you uh, know, but if, but if Derek trucks is playing, I'm going to church. Right. That's right. Do you know what I mean? That's That's how it works for me. It's like, I've never you know? had a religious experience at like a temple or a church. Like I've never had that moment of like rapture in, in a place of worship like that. But I've definitely had an experience at live shows for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt, man. I mean, I you know, that was the biggest. Well, it was the most painful thing about the pandemic in some ways was 
not just that like, okay, tours are canceled and, you know, business is shut down and all that. It's like, what if that doesn't come back? Right. Like, what if that's just a thing we used to do? That's right. Like, I remember saying that to my brother and my family. I'm like, I'm never going to a live show ever again. No way. Now <laughs> I really itch. But you know what else, Steve, is what I found myself doing during the pandemic is sitting on YouTube watching live concerts. That's what I was doing yeah. a lot of the times. Yeah, but you can't smell the weed, man. No. You can't, and you can't <laughs> hear like the, the bass in, the, in your chest. No, dude. No. And I mean, listen, there's some really cool, you know, even virtual reality stuff I've seen some guys messing with where you wear certain things, you know, and you can feel it and you can be in the middle of a 360 scenario. And sure, that's awesome. Sure. I mean, that's fun. Don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking it. But at the end of the day, you know, amps in the face, sweaty bodies. And, and they're you know, right there. Like to see them like and, right there. Dude, I went the other night. I was with my son and uh, JP, who plays drums and Kill the Robot with me. And we went to go see Devin Townsend, Animals as Leaders, Devin Townsend, and uh, and Dream Theater. And, uh, when, you know, when Animals as Leaders was on, like our seats were kind of over here. They were good, but they were front row, but kind of far off. Uh-huh. And I noticed because it was at the casino. It's like, oh, there's some space. We could technically, we could sit from row center. Like those seats are empty. And so as soon as Animals as Leaders was done, I sat right down, right in front of Devin Townsend. And I watched him right in front of me like this, Mike Keneally. And it was fucking life-changing. Just like to be unbelievable, man. Unbelievable levels of, you know, musicality and sensitivity and just like, just brilliant, you know, really it was some, something to see, man. And it, it's funny because, you know, now there aren't as many people going out to shows there. It's getting better, Yeah. but like, there shouldn't be room for me to go up front. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, yeah. What's going on guys. Yeah. You guys need to come out and support your music. That's you know, true. it's true. It's important because the thing I don't think not to get on a soapbox, but I think the thing that people don't realize is like, you know, like, cause I have a lot of friends that, you know, they, they're supportive of what, you know, the stuff I do and I'm supportive of the stuff they do, but it, it's not cool to tell people how to be your fan. You know, people oh. are going to be your fan, however they want to be, whatever they're comfortable with. Right. But the fact of the matter is, is that if you, if you don't go to shows, and and maybe even you know if you don't buy a t-shirt you're not really supporting the band that you love sure i get it you're like yeah. like like that's the thing i think a lot of people have become disconnected from is like yeah sure you know it's not napster now we just have you know spotify and everything else and that's great cuz i use it too it's, it's fantastic yeah however uh as an artist i can tell you you know that that doesn't really do anything for us it just allows the end user to have the great experience of listening to whatever they want. And that's yeah. great. Yeah. But you're not, it just, I think there's some clarity there, you know, that's important. It's like, I still go to shows and I still buy t-shirts. Sometimes I don't, you know, I don't always like the merch that certain bands sell, sure. but I might, but I might buy the t-shirt and buy my son, one of their t-shirts or whatever, because man, it's so hard to like if we're going to keep the dream alive somehow then we got to still show up for it you know you see a lot of like the um 
independent like i see this a lot now like the kind of like the indie kind of metal record labels are really uh -huh. and like the hardcore labels they're 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 making like they're getting fan support through vinyl vinyl records that's become yeah. like a collector thing like the different colors and some music i had a musician on here that hates it he's in the metal like he's in the metal um scene or whatever he plays in like a metal band and, and like he hates the colored vinyl thing but it just seems like it's such like a it's a way for it's like a revenue stream for these bands that's like viable now yeah records it's crazy dude it, it's it, there and it, the funny thing is is they did another I don't know. It was like a poll. I don't think it was a study or anything, but it was a poll that was like a pretty reputable poll. And like 80% of the people that buy vinyl don't even own vinyl record players. That's insane. Like they're buying it purely to A, support the band or B, you know, feed their need to collect all the things yes. that that band is releasing, yes. which, Hey, we need those. We need those people too. They're, they're sure. you know, those are some amazing, you know, those are great fans because they really do show up and, and, do that but it's like and they probably you know, stream the music but have the vinyl sealed absolutely yeah 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 but then you get I mean, like I, reselling I, and stuff so it's you know it's not perfect but yes nothing ever is yeah yeah and that's that's part of the quest for things too is that nothing is ever perfect and you know i you know it's like rather than chase perfection i'm just sort of chasing function now it's like i just want to like okay so for whatever i have to do for the next year two years like this is the palette of paint i'm allowing myself to use and how many guitars are in that palette five and that's down from at, at the most how many did you have at one point where you're just like i just i'm a guitar guy i have guitars um i probably had as many as 40 or 50 guitars and where would they be scattered storage units all over the place yeah yeah I've lost some along the way and you know, I've sold some. I've, uh, I mean, I think in total, I probably owned probably over a hundred wow. or so, but right now, I mean, what we're looking at in here is like, you want me to give you a little yeah, rundown? Let's, let's do some show and tell right now. Okay. So this was bought at a pawn shop in, uh, uh, Santa Monica. Let me see that ago. guy. Very cheap. Yeah, it's kind of a tough one, but is it hard it's to get an down? old Gibson oh, ES1. Yeah. I think it's like a 125. Uh -huh. The guitar next to it, this Guild, uh, where is it? This one. Uh -huh. on, let me get a better shot. This guitar right here. Oops. See, yeah. see that? Uh-huh. That was my dad's that he played on stage in the 70s. Wow. Um, that's a, a vintage pre-war Martin acoustic there. Uh-huh. is uh this guitar here was the guitar that was a gift from Eric Clapton to my father and is apparently the guitar he, the first guitar he wrote Layla with. Wow. That's the story. Wow. We don't know. But do you touch those or do you, or are they just kind of there I'm touching for them. the mojo? Do you play on those? No, I, no, I, no, I, I play all of them at some point or another. Wow. When I'm like, I'm making, making my record. I probably used half the guitars in the room. Incredible. All right, go on. I don't Maybe, want to stop you. Well, but well, no, but, but a lot of them didn't end up on the record though. A lot of them I played, but then maybe those parts didn't end up or the yeah. tone didn't work, but they've all, I've used all of them plenty. It's yeah. not like I don't sit around and play guitar a lot. Sure. I do. <laughs> but this, uh, this is a Dobro here that I got years ago that has a pickup in it and it sounds amazing. 
it's an Eastman parlor guitar right here that I um uh I played mostly when uh, live with my pops. Uh-huh. Uh that's my nylon string Cordoba. It's just for nylon string when you need the, when you need a nylon string and every once in a while you do. That's a great guitar. I got it. That's the Maton 12-string mini guitar. Uh-huh. And and that's a mini Martin acoustic there. That was a gift from Ricky Skaggs to my pops. It even has Ricky Skaggs' signature wow. there. This guitar here was my Uncle Morris's main Stratocaster wow. that he gifted to me for my 21st birthday because I always used to walk into the studio and play it Incredible. every time it was sitting on a guitar stand. And he was like, you like that thing, huh? And I'm like, yeah, it's a 64 Strat. Why wouldn't I like it? Hold on one second. Is, and like, is the rub on that, is that from his strumming? Like, is that his use? That's from him, and this is from him as well. That's all that rear rash. I love on that, that stuff. I love body. that stuff about guitar. That's that patina. Yeah, and that that's wear is so cool looking. That's all from him on tour, uh, you know, during the 70s. Uh, that's my uh, Les Paul R9, which. The 50th anniversary R9, incredible guitar. Like, I can't afford a real 59 Les Paul. So, what do those run? Do. What do 59 Les Pauls run? Quarter mil depends on really? the depends on the guitar. Oh yeah, wow. Uh, that's a Gibson SG there. That was a gift from Dave Cobb uh, in Nashville, and uh, that's probably the best sounding SG I've ever heard. SGs are so tough. Uh, that shape is so tough looking. It and dude, you know what? Honestly, dude, it. it it crushes the Les Paul for most things, in yeah. my opinion, personally. Yeah. I, yeah, I I hate to say it, but so SGs, yeah. This is a Nash SG. This was my ESP SG. This is a baritone SG. Uh-huh. Steve Gibb SG. Starting to see a pattern here. For, yep. for a while, oh, I was yeah, playing yeah, SGs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is just a, this is a great tool for layering, like, weird, you know, rezo electric guitar stuff, slide uh-huh. guitar stuff. Uh-huh. This is a Gibson ES335 that I have. Love. Played a lot. Um, this is the Joe Dart bass uh, music band. Do uh, you know who Joe Dart is? Wolfpeck. Great bass player. Really cool. This just is like such a joy to play, this bass. Yeah. This is my Black Label bass. Uh-huh. My main one at the I end there. That the one. ESP. And this is my Uncle Morris's bass his Fender P bass. What year was that? And uh, what year bass is that? That's that's actually like an '87, I think. Wow. It's not like a great year, but it's still a great bass. Yeah. It sounds killer. What um, is the whole like kind of obsession with the years? Is it the type of wood that they used at that certain time? Well, it depends on what instrument we're talking about, right? So, like every like, there's the Everybody's, you know, always goes crazy for like pre CBS Fender because before they sold to CBS, they were made differently. You know, they had four bolt necks. You know, in in the seventies when CBS bought them, they went to a three bolt design. Um, you know, like lots of little things changed, and it and it, you know, they were trying to improve the formula. They were trying to lighten the guitars. They were trying to do a lot of things, right? Yeah. Um, and and every brand kind of has some version of a history like that you know like les paul apparently never liked the production les paul's like they were never really what he wanted wow. really but many would credit him as being the real godfather of the electric guitar him and leo fender yeah um the difference being is that les was an actual guitar player and a fucking bad 
ass guitar player at that. Uh-huh. Whereas Leo wasn't a player. He was just making things for his musician friends. You know, it's, it's a different, you know, Les was more of an artist in his mind, you know, and he was really trying to unravel everything so that we could live the life we live now. I mean, he created multi-track recording and the fucking electric guitar. Like, you know, can That's, we get a, it's get a statue for him somewhere? Yeah, right, we, right. You know? It's incredible, like, you to know, think that that dude just, like, they, these guys from scratch, they're just like, yes, this is the vision. I'm going to make these, and I'm going to design these, and it's going to endure. Well, yeah, and th- but think about it. It's like when, when we were younger and when they were younger, more importantly, you know, you could go to, a like, a radio shack or, like, some kind of, like, you know, uh, what do they call that? Like, where, you know, were you, uh, like, a salvage yard. You could just, yeah. like, there was a salvage, back in my <laughs> days out there, when I was living with you, I'd go out there to the salvage yard in Sun Valley and you'd find some crazy, crazy stuff. And you know, people would just build stuff. Yes. And like, you know, this is before methamphetamines and stuff. You know what I mean? It was like back in the day, people would be like, you know, people were smart. They had engineering degrees. They were interested right, in right. going to space. And people had, you know, the imagination was a fertile place and people wanted to make stuff and tinker and build yes. cars and Right. You know, how do I put music in my car? Right. You know, right, like, right, right. It's just wild when you think like all when you actually think about the amount of things happening inside your phone that we take for granted that like literally you and I grew up in a time when none of this was possible. Right. And like we just, you know, we walk around. It's like, oh, signal sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't have service. Even like you know, simplest, it's, like simply like the case logic era versus the iPod era. Like that's just like, it's so cut and dry oh. about how different things are. Dude. I know that's crazy, right? <laughs> case logic, bro. <laughs> um, check this out. Um, I got, these are, these are, I mean, the lighting is not as great in here. Let me see if I can crank it up for you. Oh yeah. Oh, I get the red light. Come on. All right. Oh, right, so you're, the red light district now, Buster. This go. is all the weird stuff. But this is my Sir uh, Ian Thornley. It's kind of a super strat. Uh-huh. It's a signature model uh, that they made for uh, the guy from Big Wreck. I played one at the NAMM show, and I was like, that's the greatest. The, these two Sir guitars I have, they're both Ian Thornley models, mostly because I really like the neck design, the, the shape of the neck. And I just, I think they're just incredible guitars i've never played anything better honestly like wow. if, if i could well i don't have to make any big decisions today right but <laughs> if i had to probably these are the these are my number you know these are my three favorite fiddles right for the I moment love. for your musical uh, where you're at musically now they're your favorite for right now they're, they're really they're really delivering for me i love them and did you, and you then, them on your did you did you record with them on your on kill, the kill the robot record that's your latest thing right yeah, I used I actually used this guitar, the Sir Jazzmaster shape. Uh-huh. Oh, I've seen those. One. Those are cool. Yeah, yeah I used that cool. for most of it. Um, unfortunately, I didn't receive this one or my Collings i35 vintage, which is unbelievable. Like the greatest uh, semi hollow 335 style guitar I've ever played. It's just a beautiful, like incredible piece of work and um sounds incredible and these are maddie barato makes these out in la these are cigar box oh that's i've seen those before that's awesome dude these are amazing bro and like 
whenever you're stumped, it's like an inspiration, like an automatic inspiration tool. Like I just pick one up and I just completely reconnect with the joy of music. It just makes me happy to hear it. You know, it's like, like I have one, I have one over here too. You know, it's like, it's out of tune, but whenever, you know, once I pick it up and I tune it, I'm always like, oh man, <laughs> it's just music. You just mentioned that, you, you mentioned that like, um, there's certain energies with certain guitars, like, and you, like what you just talked about, how, like, when you get stuck, you pick up another one. Does that, do you ever get burnt out on a certain guitar, even though you, like, you're working on something through it? Like you're working on maybe a song or a melody or just an idea in your head or just a vibe that you have some, if you know, just kind of um, just am ambiguous sort of thing that you're chasing after. Do you ever get burnt out on a, on a certain instrument and then you need to refresh. So you put that down and go to another one in hopes that that's going to draw something out of you. I, I, I don't do it, it so much. I don't do it so much for what the necessarily what the idea is like, if I'm sitting there playing a part and I'm trying and I know what the part is that I'm trying to nail, it's usually the hard, the, the difficulty is, is kind of getting comfortable with whatever the guitar tone is, uh -huh. right. you know? And right. so sometimes it's like, I'm looking for something and I think it's the SG with the neck pickup with the tone knob rolled back a little bit, but it turns out it's actually, you know, after fucking around for an hour, you know, all I needed to do was plug a fuzz pedal directly into the console with the Telecaster. And there it is. And it took me half the time because it was right there. I just was, you know, sometimes you chase down the wrong path. It doesn't happen that much anymore. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I, I would never, you know, unless something breaks, like, you know, and like, you know, your tubes explode on stage or, you know, the power goes out. It's like, I never want to be the guy that blames the gear. You never want to sure. be that guy. That's, That's not a hack, pro right? thing. That's like a hacky It's thing. hack shit, bro. Yeah. It's yeah. totally like, you know, like doesn't matter what it is, it's going to be fixed or there's going to be something happening to make you forget that that happened, you know, if it hasn't already happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you don't dwell on that stuff. And, you know, it's like we were talking about earlier, which is sometimes you take a walk outside, you breathe for a second, you know, or, or, you know, whatever, you just clear your head for a second, you come back in, you might find it works. But I think that, most of the time I kind of hear it in my head. I kind of already know what I'm going for. Mm -hmm. And I usually find it, but then I kind of end up going down a rabbit hole of taking that original thing and making it yeah. more. Yeah. And I like that process. It doesn't always bear fruit, but sometimes it gets you to the tree and then you go, ah, maybe not, you know, but it's, I don't know, man. I don't really think like, at least in, creatively, like I don't all, always use the same process. I don't always use the same tools to get the job done. I just like, I like knowing that I'm living in accordance with my value system, which is creativity is a high value thing. So with, whether that means I'm, you know, drawing a shitty picture or you know making something stupid on my phone like you know i try not to do very much on my phone if i you know but fact is it's another great tool nowadays for sure you know yeah i mean you know i i wrote i've written so much music you know even though i've had micro cassette recorders in the past and i've had other forms of recording myself 
the iPhone voice memos and iPhone voice notes. Like, remember? Do you remember when Newton was going to come out? The I they like the it was like Apple's one of Apple's first products where they were. It was like a little tablet. Yes, little. They were gonna yes. the Apple Newton never really happened. Never really took off. Never really saw one. But it was like the promise of that, like being able to write down as much as you wanted to write down, and it could record, and your yeah. you know your your uh, your calendar, everything's in there. Yes, and it's like like. I always say, like, the basic function of the iPhone is amazing. Like, you just, as long as I have those notes and I have the voice memos, there's so much, there's so much I have now that I couldn't have or couldn't keep. I've had the, years um, ago. I, I recently crossed over. I don't buy notebooks anymore. It's all on the phone. Before, Everything, like, my yeah. writing, I, I would, uh, yeah. I would have, like, need composition books. Now, I, I don't even use it. I don't even use paper anymore. It goes right, I type right into my notes. And do you find your, do you like it better or do you uh, miss the tactile experience? That's a good question. Uh, I miss the tactile experience because I also like pens and I like handwriting. I like that sort of stuff. Um, but it's also like, there's a lot of, sometimes I'll go back and like, if, if I'm writing it down, I'll go back pages. And I'll be like, where was that thing again? Where like with notes, you can kind of edit it a little, little easier, but to answer your question quickly. Yeah. I actually do miss writing it down. Cause I do like the feeling. Well, of What about the Apple pencil? Does it give I you any that. pleasure at all? I have that. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not quite there yet. It's not. Yeah. It's kind of how I feel. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not far. Everything else is pretty much there, but it's, but it's like it's cool that I don't I can sit I can sit on the couch like this and get the idea out real quick rather than like having like to hunch over you know what I mean I guess it's a difference I totally hunch, but the, yeah like, I don't I don't the, the point is like I, I I really I quickly realized like oh why am I gonna go buy a notebook and like a pen when I could just do it on my phone and have it quickly like how many times have you had ideas and you're not near a pen you know you're somewhere you're driving or well, I shouldn't be typing and driving but my point is like you're not yeah. near a, a pen, a pen or pencil, so you can just totally. put it, like maybe you're walking around somewhere and you can just write it down. Like that sort of stuff is attractive to me. That that immediacy. But yes, Without I totally miss. Not I totally miss writing it down with pen and paper. Yes, I do. Yeah. Well, and I even miss the experience of kind of knowing how many pages back I was on something. You know, if I was working on something and just just that whole like the ritual of switching back yes. and forth between pages, and it's and it's like, oh, the notebook could fall apart, and it's like. You know, we lived with all that pressure of like it is romantic. You know, if it got too. wet. You were it's romantic. You man. feel like that's, Edgar Allan Poe writing. You know, like well, like, it's cool. like yeah, it's like yeah, exactly. Like think about it. You know, I mean, you know, if Edgar Allan Poe were alive today and he saw people just going, yeah, you know, he'd be like, ah, wow, yeah, it's so unpretty, yeah. You it's know, toiling, but too. It, like you don't toil like it's it's not as romantic, you know, like there's not that romance, that no, suffering that's involved with it. But I guess that's, you know what I do. Well, it's these are all part of our, our inability to let go. You know, we're, we're going yeah. back to that. You know, it's like, you know, for me, like, dude, you can take everything I have. I don't really care. But it's like when you start getting to my guitars, it's like, oh, let's have a conversation, you know, like easy, you know. Right. Um. But what am I not willing to let go of? You know, it's like at the end of the day, man, you know, it's uh, you were saying like, you know, if I it, it, I think it'll be a sad thing if we look around in 20 years from now and nobody plays guitar anymore. It will be. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. like, oh, wow, that's just something people did. Yes. You know, it's like nobody plays the fucking loot anymore. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And that's it, right. and we, we'd like to all, I'm sure we'd all love to think that, Hey, this stuff's going to last forever, man. But you know, we see how trends move and like, yeah. you know, the, the kids that would have been professional athletes 10 years ago are now professional gamers. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's like just so many things of what is interesting to people, you know, just, you know, the culture has been shaped and just like for us, it was MTV and it was the other stuff. It's like, you know, nowadays, you know, people's worldview is shaped by which social media platform they favor, you know? Yeah. It's also it's like, it's also like, and this, you know, I don't know if it's better or worse. There was like work involved. Like you had to invest some time. You had to educate yourself about some stuff you had to explore. You had to get it wrong. You had to, you know, yeah. find those, you know, it's, when it comes to music, like you find the, the bands and then the gateway bands, you look and see who the person, what shirt the, the people are wearing on stage. Like there was more of like a, you kind of had to figure it out. And, you know, there's a benefit to not having that. And, you know, kids who are, you know, 12 years old, they learn about Joy Division a lot earlier than I did because of the internet. Yeah. But at the same time, like there's oh. not that like. There's not like that sense of like uh scene. I guess it's just all monoculture now, which is its own kind of cool thing. But yeah, gu- guitar yeah. is not the guitar is not at the forefront of that conversation. No, it's not. But, you know, it it still keeps popping up, you know. It always yeah. kind of cracks me up, you know. It just it doesn't seem to want to go away and that's good. And the fact is, when you get out of this country, it's like we were, you know, I was telling you earlier. You know, the number one form of music, you know, like, you know, as far as sales and whatever throughout the world is pop. You know, pop music is popular music. It's the most popular music. So that's the number one form of music everywhere. But then, you know, in the States, you have hip hop and country, but more so in other markets in the rest of the world, the bigger genre is rock and metal. And strangely, genres like 90s is the next most popular music after hard rock or rock and heavy metal, then eighties music. So it's like, now we live in, in that where it's not even like, it kind of has to be by the decade now, because right. like we went through that whole sea of a million genres and now none of it means anything. Yeah. Because like now there's so many bands that are bending genres within the same songs, even yes. like sleep token or whatever. And you're like, sure. Oh wow. That's, that's rad. That's cool. You know, yeah. if somebody had to do it because we're all running out of, new weird shit to do so cool somebody's doing stuff like that and that gives you ideas about other things you can do and whatever but what's funny is that like it had to be this way of course it's this way it's like the way the technology is moving look at the way like nobody's got an attention span anymore and then you look at like you know since we've had youtube look at how good people are getting it at their instrument and how quick they're doing it you know some of them will never play in bands and they're better guitar players than I'll ever be, but yes. they'll never play in a band. And also, you know, that's also or, like if, if you are a kid, you can go instead of, you know, schlepping to your music class. Like my daughter, she, she plays piano. She takes piano lessons over zoom. If, if wow. that was available to me, I think my, I think it would have been a completely different game. I think I would have been a musician, especially like if I had YouTube right now, like I'd be sitting learning how to play an instrument through somebody on YouTube. It, it's amazing. But again, yeah. I'm coming from the era of, 
you know, guitar rock and like that, like live show and, you know, that live kind of sound. Yeah, but you made a really good point, though. You you said, you know, we had to figure it out. And I think yes. when it's when it's when it's not easy, it's more interesting. Sure. Right. You don't you don't take it for granted because you invested too much energy just in trying to figure out what kind of picks he was playing. Yes. Or or like, well, how does he get the guitar to sound like that, though? That doesn't sound like everything else. And you're chasing your tail trying to figure it out. And Jimi Hendrix is blowing your mind. And then you look down and there's all these things on the floor and you're like, oh, he's yeah. plugging into boxes of things. Yeah. And what do those things do? You know, like, I mean, we used to read the liner notes of records obsessively and know like who the assistant engineer was and what studio was it recorded in and what city, you know, like, and if I ever end up in that city, can I visit that studio? I want to yeah. see, I want to smell the wall, right. you know? Right. Like we went from growing up in a world where you had almost no information yeah. to like to growing old in a world where you have more fucking information than you could ever know what to do with. It's yeah. like, I look at, you know, some people like my kids ages and I'm like, man, no wonder you can't figure out what you want to do with your life. If I had this many options when I was your age, yes. I don't know what I would have done. I just, right. I just saw like, I knew I didn't want to work in the warehouse at Ace Music my whole life. <laughs> I kind of knew that. But I also kind of knew that if I had to, that was okay too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it was like a, a thing where it was like, I got to figure this music thing out. And I still haven't figured it out, but I'm not bored with that yet. So, Have, have you been to an instrument okay. shop right, lately? Is Are the guitars even on the wall anymore like that? I mean, it's different now. Like, if you go to Guitar Center, I always say, like, Guitar Center is there for beginner guitar players. Right. That's why it exists. You know, beginners to early intermediate, like, you know, not to say they don't have some nice stuff in their vintage rooms and they don't, you know, but generally speaking, at least the, the ones down here, it's tough to find what I need there. Yeah. I see some really but, uh, cool you vintage guitar shops out here. And I walk by them, and I'm like, wow, I bet if I bet for somebody who plays guitar, they walk in there, it's like gem after gem after gem. After well, gem. you're you're in L.A. Dude. There's yeah. still some good vintage shops and yes. there's still some good just overall guitar energy there. You know, I mean, there is. that's, you know, I mean, a lot of it's moved to Nashville, but L.A.'s always had a pretty good sort of uh, vibe, you know, in general. There's, you know, there's a few great spots in the valley. I mean, the Guitar Center in Los Angeles still has an amazing vintage room. Like, they still have great stuff, but it, it's, it's, everything's online, bro, just like everything else. Right. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't know how some people stay in business because when you look at, you know, like, you can just get on Amazon and buy anything, you know, or you can get on Sweetwater and, and you know, and then if you, you know, if you tell them, oh, I found it for this much here, and you send it to somebody, they'll give you a deal. It's like, you know, it's the same game. It's just played differently now, you know, but I, I like the old days of going into a pawn shop and knowing the guy didn't really know what he had. And I did, Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, you know, those, those that doesn't like, happen what, anymore. Right. Uh, These guys all know what nah, they have, right? Yeah. Or they, or, you know, it's like even, you know, even if somebody finds like an old 59 Les Paul in their attic or something like somebody in the family, knows a guy that knows something that, yeah. you know, it's, or they type it into eBay. And I mean, 
And that's not to say you should, you know, I mean, you don't want to steal anything from anybody. Never. You know what I mean? Like I always believe in fair, you know, fair market value for anything, sure. you know, but at the same time, it's hell, man. If I could get a vintage guitar, you know, at a, at a deal at least, you know, wow, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, you, you could still wheel and deal, I guess, but I just don't really, um, I don't have as much of a thirst for the, for the vintage or like cork sniffy. I call it cork sniffy guitar playing, you know, Tell it's me. like, well, it's just, you know, look, some of the nicest guitars I've ever played in my life are owned by lawyers and doctors. Dude, I was just you know? about to ask you what you felt about like and the collectors. boomer guitar collector that has those guitars, but they don't play. And you just nailed it. It's cork sniffer. Yeah, but you know what, man? They can afford it. Yeah. Obviously, they, they've worked hard or whatever. They can afford those guitars. Most of those guys that own those kinds of things, they, they love those things. And yeah. they, they care for them. And they'll probably from what i understand anyway you know and I've, I've been invited to a few of these you know they're very eager to share their their joy of these things with people you know i mean i've i've been invited to certain cork sniffing parties where you know it's like of course i want to come and you know taste your wine and yeah you know hang out with you and enjoy it yeah that's really cool so i think you know sharing is caring that's you cool. know but i think if you're I, but I think if you're the type of collector that just sees it as an asset and puts it in a glass case and hangs it over your fucking dining room table, well, yeah, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think I don't care how old the guitar is or how this, that, or the other. I mean, I think all guitars, at the end of the day, want to be played. Is there a guitar in your mind that, like, you would love to have, like a like a guitar, like a famous someone who played, like, that you would love to have, not just to revere, but, like, to have, have it and maybe have it imbue you with something or just to ha have its essence around? I mean, I'll, I'll say this. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not the type of person that would even imagine that I can have it any better than I already do. You know, like I'm always like, I'm very blessed. And, but, you know, I mean, I have, since I was a kid, looked at Eddie Van Halen's, you know, the, whether it's the black and white stripe original, the black and yellow, or, you know, the red and white and black. Like it's so it's just so burned in my memory as a part of like not my DNA, but it's definitely part of my musical DNA in a way. Yes. And I've intentionally never bought one of the the, um, you know, the replicas uh, yes. only because I, I actually I, you know, I my friend has one and every time I play it, I find it to be very, very enjoyable. Yeah. But. I know I'm not really going to play it unless I go to my friend's house. Like I can play his, yeah. you know what I mean? And I don't, I shouldn't own one just because I'm nostalgic for that guitar. I think that, um, you know, I think it's, 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 it's a great guitar, man. It's just iconic, but it's like, every time I look at it, I get a little sad because I didn't know the man, but he changed my life, for you sure. know, and I have, just so much respect for him. It's like, you know, it's like the thing, it's it's the thing like when I see, you know, whenever I see somebody playing an upside down Stratocaster, you know, like, you know, flipping it over like they're Jimi Hendrix or something. It's like, unless you play the guitar upside down, you know, like, I don't want to, me personally, I don't want to see that. Right. right. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I'm not into copycat stuff. It's like, 
you know, I, like I've been playing those those Sir uh, Ian Thornley edition guitars, and you know, it's like it doesn't say Ian Thornley all over the guitar or anything like that. It's just it's it's a great neck, great pickups. The build quality of the guitar is incredible, and it's like, well, I like it. Yeah, it's doing everything I want a guitar to do. So fuck yeah, you know. But Back to I don't know stuff. about owning. I I, I, I want to tell you this. When the Smithsonian uh, had, uh, it's like a guitar installation that they yeah, had in New cool. York for a while. Dude, that was the most, I mean, I lost one of my best friends right before that, a great guitar player, Dan Warner, who uh, who Sorry played uh, with me and my dad's band. And he was one of my best buds. And, and so I just recently lost him and I was up there with my family and I went to this, this Smithsonian and I was in tears, man. Like to be able to walk up, like, even though it was through the glass, like there's Eddie's guitar. Yeah. There's Jimmy Page's last Paul. Right. There's Stevie Ray Vaughan's strat. Like, like what in the fuck is like, you know, yes. these things are such emotional objects to me. Yes. And then you go into the next room and there's the Beatles stuff and there's the, you know, there's the, deep purple shit and there's the there's the van halen there's the whole back line right. with the amps and the whole thing you're just like oh my god like I, right. i'm gonna lose my fucking mind and i get it because sometimes people will come over to my studio and their my their heads will explode because i have the stuff i have and it's right. like yeah but nothing's blowing my mind like going to that exhibit i mean to me that was the equivalent of the fucking dead sea scrolls like no, i'm no, like i get it and also, like what, like, like the connect, but like the emotional response, I could see myself having the same thing because of the, the realization, like, wow, like a human being, it took a human being to take that tool, and make that art, like it's that, it's that like perfect interaction, and like to see the tool, it's like, it's all kind of interwoven with your emotional reaction to what the person did with that tool, to also like, wow, that tool was there at that moment when that song was written like that that's the thing right there like that's the relic yeah. of it it's it's incredible it's like stuff to see like especially like the musical instruments because of how like emotionally tied we are to music it's incredible to see those yeah, instruments. I, it must be incredible I, I have to i have to say man like i wasn't prepared for yeah. the level of, of 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 the reaction that i had wow like like as I got, cl I'm getting chills just thinking about it. Like as I walked closer to the object, it was like, it was like there was things vibrating around me, and I started to get like you know when you when you feel like you're gonna cry and you start to shake a little bit and you yes. get kind of like, and I, and that was happening to me. Yeah. I was just like I was like I'm looking at Jimmy's last paw and I'm just seeing bah, bah, yes. bah, bah, and I'm just yes. like oh. Fuck, and I'm looking at the dirt and the grime on Eddie's guitar and the fucking whoa, like yes. it was. It, my my kids were like, "What's wrong with my dad?" You know, and my you know, <laughs> my wife's like, "Oh, honey," <laughs> but I was like, "Oh man, I don't know if I can handle this," you know. And then you walk around and you just there's another one, there's another one, and you're just like, "Oh my god, that's the guitar that Jeff Beck played on." you know this and then you look and there's fucking you know the beatles sergeant pepper shit and you're just like what is going on yeah. you know Why do but you it's funny because you know 
I'll walk into my dad's warehouse occasionally. I look around and I'm like, look at all this stuff. And you don't care yeah. or you do? No, of course I care. But I, I, that wrong choice of just, words. Meaning, just, do you re, do you revere it as? Is there? I, I mean, I, I I'm going to answer the question. I guess there's not much of a mystique around that because you live in that, right? Like that's your world. It's just that it's just the stuff. It's just stuff. You right. know what I mean? Like, but but at the same time, like, I get it. I get why people freak out because I freak out at you know, like I said, seeing Eddie's and, yeah, and Jimmy's right. guitars and all that stuff. But the, at the same time. You know, any guitar player will tell you that's played another guitar, great guitar player's guitar. You know, like I believe I, I saw an interview not that long ago with Nuno Betancourt talking about picking up Eddie's guitar, and he was like, "That eh, still sounded like me," and it was right. hard to play. Right. It right. wasn't. It was. It was. It, it kind of dogged him up a little bit. He was like, "Oh wow, it's not what you think," you know. And like you know, Jeff Beck played with really high action. It's like, and you know mostly with his finger like you know you you, you don't you, you like it's funny what you know one man's you know one man's tool set up for that guy you know it's just like it, yeah. you pick it up and you're like i don't know i'm not even though you revere it like there's certain guitars i've picked up you know that belong to other people and been like holy shit that's that is an incredible guitar yeah. but more often than not you're like eh, i like what i got you know it's, it's, it's just, to, it doesn't live. It doesn't live up to nothing. Ever lives up to the fantasy. Nothing. Adam. It's like nothing. It's no. like an. It's like you know. It's like an orgy or something. You know. It's never going to be what you think it's going. to No, nothing lives it's, up to it. You know, and that's it's like, and you know, fantasy, imagination, creativity. That's something we need. You know what I mean? But it, yeah. it can become. We can get lost in it. You know, it's like yeah. look at like like when me and your brother were kids. And we had all those Star Wars action figures and all that stuff. I mean, we had a collection. Yes. Serious. Yes. Serious. Yeah, oh yeah. And I came home from school one day and my mom gave all my Star Wars stuff away, <laughs> donated it. <laughs> yeah. And I lost my mind. Yeah. I was like, why would you oh, oh, why would you do that? Right. Well, you didn't really play with it anymore, and it was messing up the living room, and I wanted to make room for whatever. And I was like, like having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that's why I hold on to some of the things I do now because yeah. that early childhood trauma of just like, I wasn't ready to let go of that yet. And you right. just took it away. Well, guess what, Steve? That's life, man. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff I've had to let go of along the way that I didn't have a choice in the matter. It was time. So a lot of the people who I speak with, um, a lot of collectors, it's always, it always circles back to childhood. I think, at least for me, you know, I always, given the option, would love to go back there. You know, it was a time of innocence and, you know, wonder. You know, it's the same reason why we love watching, you know, Mary Poppins with our kids. Or Clash you know, of the it's Titans. not, I mean, watch, you clash, watch or Clash, clash of the Titans, Titans whatever. <laughs> but I mean, but I'm just saying, it's like, but you want to, you want to go back to that place where things just weren't that complicated any right. as they are now. There weren't as many responsibilities. There weren't as many things to be concerned about, you know, like my kids have grown up worrying about things that we didn't even know happened right. when we were younger and at that same sure. age, you know, sure. and I don't know if that's good, bad, right or wrong. It's just different. Yeah. 
No, and, is- and it is. I think, I, I think we're all trying to recapture that joy of childhood, of like discovery and, you know, uh, belonging. You know, you it's belonging? like for some of us. What do you mean belonging? Well, well, I think like, and I've just seen this kind of over the years. It's like, you know, like I remember when I was younger, like there were people that liked Star Trek that didn't like Star Wars. And there were people yeah. that liked Star Wars that didn't like Star Trek. Right. Like there was always clicks when we back then, you know, yes. and yeah. it was like, you know, the punk rock kids didn't really hang out with the hippie kids, but they were cool. As long as like one of them had weed or beer or whatever, and they would share, but it was like, all right, cool. You guys do you over there and we're going to be over here listening to hippie shit or whatever. And then, but you know, I was always like the guy moving around the different scenes, but like, I think that we're all looking for somewhere to belong, man. We all like, whether it's, I belong on the football team, like I feel at home there. I think when we're young, we want to, we want to belong in our family. And then when we realize that's not really the place we're supposed to, be, we don't belong to it. It just is. Yeah. You know, like whoever our parents turn out to be in the final analysis, isn't really our business. It's right. just that they're how we got here. And we're here to figure out where, where do we belong in the world? And yeah. sometimes it's like, well, whether it's my guitar collection or I mean, dude, I have a pick collection of every pick I've ever picked up from guitar players that I know and have loved or whatever. I have concert t-shirt collection. I have uh, um, posters. Like I have so much stuff just from my career, even like at some point it's like, it's either got to go somewhere altogether and and I got to make a really cool room out of it, but I'm running out of time now. Like I won't even be able yeah. to enjoy it. Right. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it's just stuff that landed on me along the way. Um, I collect books, you know, I have these relationships with some of these books. Mm-hmm. I've read some of them 10 times, mm-hmm. maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's, it's that it's, it's, there's something about, about the thing whether it's the guitar like for me to sit down with a guitar is more comfortable to me than the alternative